It's great to have you with us from wherever you're tuning in from. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website, elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app. We hope this message inspires and helps you to take your next steps in your journey. So great to have you here and it's 2024 and because it's 2024, we know that Elevate Church, which didn't start called Elevate Church, but is 74 years old this year. So, little spoiler, next year, 75. Look out, there is almost certainly going to be some 75th anniversary church merch coming down the pike. It's got to be done. Anyway, but as a church that's 74 years old, one of the things that's characterized the journey over these nearly three quarters of a century has been pioneering. And uh, we know this because uh, we've got some of the history that we've been able to sort of capture or, or uh, unearth, if you like. Um, and this year and this month, we've been launching a generational opportunity, uh, which we've literally called Building the Future. And um, what you'll see is uh, on the tables and some of the chairs is this brochure. If you don't already have this, then you can ask nicely of whoever's got next to the tables before you could uh, and put their coffee there. Grab that. Don't read it now, but you can take it home and read that. Strongly encourage you to do that. Um, And I'll talk a bit about this and and what that means in a moment. Just a quick recap. This is 1950. This is a group of, of, uh, of people, men and women, who launched a Sunday school they called themselves the Wayside Sunday School in 1950. We, we, we don't know who they are uh, by name. We just love the fact that we at least have this photo of them. And uh, what we love about it is the spirit that caused them to do this. This idea that we don't have a building, we don't have a budget, but we do have faith and we do have a commitment to invest into the next generation the truth about Jesus Uh, That was literally the beginning of what we now call Elevate Church. Unbelievable. Four years later, they became Church of Christ Rivervale. In 1963, built the first building, the first church building, which we now call Hall 1. 1976, the building we now call Hall 2. And then in the 1980s, uh, the church purchased the two adjacent uh, residential properties, so there'd be a footprint to be able to grow into. There was the manse, which was where the pastor lived, literally here, demoed that, built this auditorium, opened in 1989. Now, last week, we had Barry Thiggerson, who led the church in that uh, window, 1981 to 1990, interviewed him. He shared some of the stories. It was just bonkers. It was so incredibly inspiring. If you weren't here for that, I know many of you were, uh, go back and listen to the podcast and go and listen all the way through because it includes the interview with Barry there as well. Now, we didn't, uh, we, we've now gone on to pioneer a little bit more. In fact, what we've done in, uh, well, in 2015 is, so let me just, this is Google Earth. Um, So we're here in this auditorium. This was the first church building, Hall 1, second church building, Hall 2, purchased these two adjacent residential properties there. And then in 2015, we purchased this residential property as well. And uh, we uh, 
had to pay nearly a million dollars because we were bidding against two property developers. And uh, if, if any of them had got that property, we'd now have five new neighbours and we'd never be able to get that piece of land back. And God's not building more dirt, in case you missed that. So we've got that just under a mill. Um, and we currently have with ANZ Bank a mortgage of $700,000, which we want to aggressively attack and do so so that we can position ourselves to have more freedom, more flexibility into the future. And it requires us to aggressively attack that mortgage. It requires us to actually have a future focus, to actually align ourselves with not just today, but what's possible. And thinking about this during the week, uh, one of Jesus' handpicked followers, a guy named John, John liked to call himself the one that Jesus loved, which is like, okay, John, sure, uh, if you say so. Um, he had a, a vision, which there was some creatures that actually started singing and declaring this about God, that God is the one who was, who is, and who is still to come. And one of the incredibly unique challenges that this reminds us of is that it's, it's actually kind of easy to look at the God who was, and we need to do that. We did that last week. That was the point of having Barry here. Let's look at God's faithfulness. Let's look at God, what God's already done, not just the last year, last decade, but all through the ages. We have the Bible that tells us about God's incredible, consistent, miracle-working power over generations and generations, thousands and thousands of years. So we need to make sure that we have a very clear handle on the God who was. But not to just rest there. Oh, remember the good old days. Okay, fine. Then there's the God who is. This is now. God, I want you. I need you now. What are you doing now? I need healing now. We prayed for that. God is the God who is. And that matters. However, if we only align our vision with the God who was and the God who is, we're going to miss out, and this is true in our individual lives and it's true as a church, miss out on aligning ourselves for the future, the God who is still to come, the God who wants to do more, the God who's not finished yet, the God in fact wants to pioneer new things and create new opportunities. And just as much as we're standing on the shoulders of the generations that have gone before us, that as we align ourselves into the future, we set the next generations up to be able to stand on our shoulders. And one of the advantages of generations standing on the shoulders of the previous generation is they get to see even further. We actually give them the leg up to see even further than we could see and give them a head start by creating those opportunities. So it's an incredible, incredible opportunity for us as a church. And we just describe the wins as ownership. You know one of the things about ownership? You get to do what you want with your stuff. Other people can have an opinion, but it's just an opinion. ANZN Bank, not even asking for your permission. We talk about opportunities. We, we, we don't even have like a five-year plan. I, I tell this to people every now and then. If 2020, March 2020, four-year anniversary next month, if March 2020 taught us anything, it's that five-year plans are maybe a little bit overrated. Some of you weren't even allowed to have a five kilometer plan. Yes, you can go for a walk, but no more than five kilometers from your house. 
or they're going to, Mark McGowan's going to come and get you. And the other thing is that we are paying the mortgage on the, the, the ANZ mortgage there. We're paying it out of giving and we want to realign the giving that's already happening to invest into ministry and then be giving personally over and above that to be taking care of the mortgage over there. Now, we're coupling this building the future opportunity with a series we've called More Than Enough. And it's very intentional because we don't want to attack this mortgage and pioneer the next chapter just in our own strength, just with our own resources, because we're limited. We're limited. We can do some things, but we can't do a lot of things. And so this series has been about this idea of growing and journeying from a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset. A scarcity mindset is typified by things like there's never gonna be enough, I'm never gonna have enough. It's typified by self-reliance um, and it will limit you. And it's not just a financial mindset, although it certainly plays to finances. In any area of your life where you have a scarcity mindset, you and I will be limited. So there's an opportunity to grow towards an abundance mindset. An abundance mindset starts to appreciate that God is actually the source of everything, that we're not the source. And, 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 and getting the revelation that God is unlimited. God isn't just the God of barely enough, He's the God of more than enough. The scarcity mindset, we live out of fear. An abundance mindset, we start to live out of faith, knowing that God's not ever going to run out. And so we've been just taking a bit of a flyover of two chapters from a letter that Paul wrote to a church in a place called Corinth, uh, Greece. This was a church that uh, seemingly uh, had started on a journey of generosity and giving. And then for some reason, which Paul doesn't make clear, they actually stopped. I'll come back to that in a moment. But this entire two chapters are typified exclusively by talking about the transformative power of generosity. Literally, in these two chapters, Paul doesn't talk about any other subject. <laughs> so if you missed either of the first two weeks, you can go and listen to that on our podcast. Today, I wanna skip over from chapter eight to chapter nine. If you've got your smartphone camera, you can scan this flow code. It's gonna take you to the Bible app. You have to have that installed. It's gonna take you to 2 Corinthians chapter nine. So the last two weeks, we've been looking at chapter eight and, and just a flyover. So I, I encourage the team this morning, <coughs> go back and read the entire chapter, chapter eight. And after today, go back and read the entire chapter, chapter nine. Because we're not even, we're just, it's a flyover. But here's the, the context, is that Paul, who was a Jewish leader, who met Jesus, committed to following Jesus, started to plant churches, including at this point in history, planting churches outside of the Jewish world. The church in Corinth was one of those uh, churches. And the heavyweights of the early church leadership, Peter, James and John, had commissioned Paul, go and launch some churches to the non-Jewish world, tell them about Jesus, like duh. Interestingly, they gave him one additional charge is also teach them about generosity. It wasn't a long list. Jesus and generosity. And as best as I can figure it out, the reason they put generosity, not 
alongside Jesus, like next, is this idea that we are, we are never more like God than when we give. That Jesus himself said, for God so loved the world that he gave. His expression of love was by giving. So anyway, Paul seemingly had started teaching the church and one of his offsiders, Titus, started teaching the church in Corinth about giving, generosity, and they responded. Apparently they started on this journey, but as I mentioned, for some reason, they stopped. And Paul wrote this letter to them. Interestingly, and you have to have your big boy pants and your big girl pants on when you read this letter, this entire letter is essentially a letter of correction. <laughs> Yikes. Just a little bonus thought. God Himself says that He corrects those He loves. It's actually motivated by love that when we get off track that He actually stages an intervention because He wants us to get back on the pathway to His best. So here's a letter of correction, like, ah, but it's like, God loves us enough to want to get us back. So they fell short on their follow through with giving. Paul writes this letter to them. Now he's writing to an agricultural society. So he uses the phrase, remember this. Most of us get our fruit and veg from a supermarket. So we, he, if he wrote this to us today, he'd say, did you know this? And you'd be like, oh, no. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Now I'm in the remember this category because I have an urban farm and uh, I grow things to eat and I grow things to eat from seed. So I read this and I go, yeah, duh, Paul, already know this mate, I get it. Now it's summertime at the moment. One of my staple crops that I like to grow in the summer is tomatoes, a range of heirloom tomatoes, not the ones that you can buy at the store that you can play tennis against the brick wall and they go for about two and a half hours before they even start to bruise up. Not those, not the ones with flavour in the words of Homer Simpson. Hello, hello flavour. No, beautiful. But to do that, I have to go and buy packets of heirloom seeds. I get them from a store just in Vic Park over here. And there's about, I don't know, on average 100 seeds per packet. And I might buy like eight packets. So I'm sitting on 800 seeds. My urban farm is not that big. So I take a few seeds from each packet, raise them in my greenhouse, put them in the ground and eventually Enjoy them. Right now, literally right now, here, February 2024, I have two groups of tomato seeds on my property. I have the ones that are still in the packets in my shed. And I have the ones that I put in the ground. Have a guess which ones, which category of seeds are actually producing tomatoes for me to eat? Anyone? Anyone? Okay, I'm not insulting your intelligence. I'm playing a game with you. Obviously, the ones that I put in the ground. Here's the thing. I had to buy more than I needed. That's why they're in the shed. I'll bring them out to play next year. We'll keep it going. But I didn't buy seeds to store in the shed. 
I bought seeds to plant in the ground. I didn't buy seeds so I just have dust collectors in my shed. I bought seeds so I'd have an abundance of beautiful, delicious heirloom tomatoes in my kitchen. Anybody shocked by that? No, of course not. Like, uh, move on. Okay, I'll move on. But here's the thing. Paul's making a case with this metaphor that money isn't just something that we're meant to hold on to, but it's actually a tool and a resource that we can actually plant, we can actually invest. And that if we do that, there will be a multiplication. One tomato seed doesn't grow one tomato. One tomato seed grows 30, 40, 50 tomatoes, but only if you sow it. This is a universal, timeless law called the law of the harvest. You don't have to explain this to the people then. You don't have to explain this to anybody who's in agriculture or farming or whatever. You don't have to explain this. This is a law. Nobody is shocked. Nobody is surprised. You don't even have to prove it to them. You just go, oh. it's, it's called the law of the harvest. So Paul, first of all, he's talking about if. It's like if you plant, then you'll get a crop. He also highlights another aspect of the law of the harvest. And that is to say that the amount that we plant will have a direct correlation to the amount that we harvest. Plant just a few seeds, get a small crop, plant generously, get a generous crop. Now, this moving from a scarcity mindset, which I grew up with, by the way, towards an abundance mindset, it's a journey. Took me years. Hopefully you're smarter than me. Some of you are already there. Some of you are gonna take less than years. But it's a journey. And, and like, it's like any aspect of following Jesus. It's a journey. But because it's a journey, the critical thing is to consistently take next steps. They might be baby steps. Occasionally they might be giant leaps. But, but, but don't allow yourself to get stuck. Okay. Now I've given a little bit of, uh, I don't know, let me put some words to what this journey might look like. The starting point might be this. I'm giving just a bit of a generalization here, but the starting point for somebody that has a scarcity mindset might be this. It's all from me and for me. Meaning like, I went to work. I did the things. I put up with those people. I got the money and it's all from me. I earned this and it's all for me. Duh, that's the reason it said my name on the transaction from my employer. And this is the message of the prevailing culture that we live in. So it doesn't seem odd. It doesn't seem like contradictory. It's like this is, this, we get this messaging every single day. There's a National Australia Bank commercial years ago for the most important person in the world, you. Like, okay, maybe that's not God's message to us. <laughs> But it's not only a cultural thing, we kind of seemingly are born with this mentality, right? Parents, Junior learns, Mama, Dada, you're all having a competition of which one Junior's gonna say first. I'm pretty sure I said Mama. No, it was definitely Dada. All right, break it up, people. But you know, one of, the, one of the first words that Junior says is mine. 
And you're like, wait, what? I didn't teach you that. Where'd that come from? <clears throat> and it's almost like we have to actually break free from something that we come baked in to who we are. Now, this would be easy and appropriate to say, well, yeah, this is how selfish and greedy people think. Those people. Boo. Right? But actually, and that's true. <laughs> actually, it's also how people with a scarcity mindset think. Because it's like, it's all from me. It's self-reliance. And I better keep it all for me just in case I run out. And then God's like, there's something better. And the better might look like this. And again, this is a journey. The first belongs to God. This theme is all throughout the Bible. It's not just once people are like, oh, prove it. Okay. It comes up again and again and again. In fact, if I wanted to punch you in the mouth, I'd tell you that actually God says everything belongs to Him. He'd be like, wait, what? <laughs> I mean, probably. He'd take it from me tomorrow if he wanted to. I don't think he's going to, but I'm just saying, he's God, right? He can do anything. Um, so actually this idea of, of just returning the first to him sounds like a pretty good deal. I remember years ago, one of my buddies, his daughter just started receiving pocket money and he decided to make life simple for her and started on 10 bucks because he wanted to teach her the idea of giving the first 10% to God. So he's like, she's a bit, d d a bit dim, uh, so let's not make it complicated. Let's give her 10 bucks and teach her that she gives $1 to God. So turns up to the church, she gives $1. So sweetheart, here's your pocket money. It's $10, gave it to her in 10 $1 coins. Again, she presumably was a bit dim. Uh, and she's like, so uh, dad, how much of this am I meant to give to God? And he's like, one, one dollar, one coin. And she's like, uh, so you mean I get to keep the other nine? And he's like, yeah. She's like, wow. Okay, well, she's a quick study. This is, this is a sign that we're growing. This is a sign that, hey, God, I wanna honour you, that it's not all from me, that it's all from you. And you allow me and you bless me and you provide for me and my family and we get to keep most of it. But we wanna honour you. I wanna honour you and I'm gonna honour you by giving you the first of what you provide to me. Now, then this is where you take the trainer wheels off. This is where things get thrilling. Sacrificial giving. This is where you start to feel it. This is where some people who get to this place actually start to try to outgive God. All right, God, game on. And they never win. They never win. But again, it's a journey. You probably don't and shouldn't start <laughs> with sacrificial giving. Uh, maybe you could, but that's not my experience. But here's the reality. Every single one of us, right at this exact moment in history, are somewhere on this journey. And my encouragement and Paul's encouragement is simply take a next 
step. If you haven't begun, take a first step. If you have begun, maybe God's stretching you to take a next step. And Paul gives us this instruction. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. By the way, when you read this, this, this is like, you could translate this into everyday Aussie and it would read like this. You better give and you better like it. Like, okay. <laughs> All right, sure. It's like, I don't think that's where Paul's coming from. And in fact, the clue is what I've highlighted at the top. Decide in your heart. Because actually, the freedom isn't when we start to give God our money. The freedom is when we ultimately give Him our entire heart. That's what He's looking for. He's looking for hearts that are fully surrendered to Him. He's looking for hearts that say, God, have your way in me and have your way through me. And one of the expressions is how we manage the money that He trusts us with. And then He just drops this in, like, it's like, if you're still terrified, if you're still holding on to a scarcity mindset, if you're still living out of fear, can I just, and again, remember, He's writing to people who started giving but stopped. Listen, people, God, there's a lot of absolutes in this statement. God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over, the God who's more than enough to share with others. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer, and then bread to eat. You're not the source. In the same way, He will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. We really hope you got a lot out of this message. If you live in the Perth area, we'd love for you to join one of our live experiences. For times and directions, as well as information, head to our website, elevatechurch.me. For those of you beyond the Perth area, we'd love for you to connect with our online experience, which premieres every Sunday via YouTube and Facebook Live and on demand immediately after. And to partner with us to reach more people by giving financially, head to our website, elevatechurch.me and also download our Elevate Church AU app.